the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today, Today, USA Today NFL Wire site covering the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, recording on a Tuesday night with Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, the SB Nation Arizona Cardinals site, and also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. Seth, we're finally here at week one. Um, this normally, so in how we're doing shows, Tuesday will be our, our basically our game review. And so you'll get that Wednesday morning. I mean, I mean, ideally, we could do it earlier, but, you know, life and Sundays are hard because, you know, football games. We don't want to get on the microphone that quickly. And Monday, Seth got his podcast and I've got stuff going on. So, but Seth, are you ready? Are you ready for actual football that counts and more subterfuge and Jonathan Gannon telling us things that don't really tell us anything? Yeah, it's going to be... Uh fun i guess i don't i don't know if that's the right word but it's going to be it's going to be interesting for the first couple of weeks while we wait to see what are i mean we're going to talk about it obviously but is this to you just gannon having fun with a guy that was basically i mean was a division rival for the last 2 years while he was in philly and just i mean because let's be honest, there's no, like you said last week, there's no advantage. They're they're preparing for <laughs> Joshua Dobbs the same. Like this is just Gannon having some fun, right? Like that's that's what I'm kind of taking from this whole thing. You know, he was on. They had Gannon on Burns and Gambo uh, today on Tuesday, and he got that from Sirianni. Now I, I will say this. Gannon, if there's one thing we know, he is ultra competitive, and so if there's any competitive edge. He's going to take advantage of it. In this case, is he's going to force them to do a little extra. Not that, but let's be honest. Nobody's doing extra work to prepare for Dobbs over Tune because they're really kind of the same guy. They are. They are the same guy. They have. (laughs) I mean, Tune has two fewer starts as an NFL rookie that Dobbs has in seven seasons. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. Right now, like we just, I mean. The one thing you might get is that the unknown of of tune, like he he's he uses his athleticism just a touch more. But I mean, outside of that, you're not gonna, yeah, like you said, you're not gonna see anything that you're gonna be like, oh, we got. I mean, this isn't. I mean, tune. We talked about this before the draft because tune was one of the guys I really liked, right? Like. He is one of the most athletic quarterbacks, but he's one of the most athletic, like normal athlete quarterbacks. Not right. Kyler this is not Murray. like Kyler, right? <laughs> yeah, Lamar Jackson type athlete. Like he's not even like he's he's not even Josh Allen level athlete. He's maybe like a Kenny Pickett type of athlete, you know? So yeah, it's just it's funny to see that thinking that there's going to be any type of any type of uh advantage drawn from that but i i, I truly just think it's it's i'm sure I, it is gamesmanship yeah and that's and, what, I, and, I, and i honestly Cannon hates telling us things he hates revealing anything like he, he also said 
the team knows. Like, they know in the building what the plan is. Now, unless the plan changes, like, they know, which means it's Dobbs. I mean, we've heard this from enough people. That's why they traded for him. That's been that's been suggested the whole time. Dobbs is going to be the starter as much as that sort of, I mean, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I am very whatever on Josh Dobbs because, you know, with the little bit of hope, the little it's bit of little, hope that I had about Colt McCoy, I don't have that much hope in Josh Dobbs. That's the stupid thing. No, and and that's, I mean, it's not stupid. It's just realistic. I mean, <laughs> we've seen what he is. He's going to manage the game. He's going to miss throws. He's not going to, you know, make plays. But, I mean, the iteration of what, what Colt had become be honest was probably worse yeah at i this guess point. i guess i guess i, I just felt i, I just mean, felt that, that even even a washed up mccoy might be a better playmaker than the dobbs but i what i envision honestly what i envision with dobbs is not last year geno smith it was 2021 coming into when he was starting for russell wilson geno smith which was highly uninspiring right and that's probably accurate but I didn't send you this for prep, and I just forgot. Like, what was your take? Because this has been fun on the internet. What was your take on Jonathan Gannon on flight plan? Because the internet has really had some fun with this. And I'll 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 admit the only thing I took away from that whole speech that he said that it wasn't too an un- whatever. The only thing that I'm surprised that the Cardinals put out there. Is the is is because Gannon has promoted football violence from the beginning, and I know that can be a little on the touch, but he wants players to play violently and to say that he wants effing killers, even though <laughs> the way he says it, like he's he's not super, he's high energy, but he doesn't he's not like the big inspirational speaker, so more of an energy. What was your take on 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 how Gannon was portrayed in Flight Plan? I didn't understand the preview clip that they sent out because I don't think it put him not that it put him in a bad light but it just didn't put him in a way that made him seem like a strong leader at the time whereas the actual speech itself I think was better does that make sense yeah yeah like and and that's the thing is like you go to the Cardinals YouTube page which is the only place flight plan is available, right? And it's not like the... um, Let me take a look here real quick. The Yeah. (laughs) Flight plan has 39,000 views. 39,000 views, which is similar to the amount of downloads that this podcast gets. Like, (laughs) this is not... That's not something that so, right. Okay, that that's actually a really good point. Is that that particular clip on Twitter slash X has made the rounds when the actual the actual substance of the speech is much different. <laughs> that is true. It is true. I, I do. So, I will say that I I do see like when they mention Kendall Roy, I see that. I totally believe it because Jonathan Gannon gives off confident Kendall Roy vibes not the doubting himself Kendall Roy vibes but definitely the like when he's like I can f and do this 
that is the Kendall Roy that I see Jonathan Gannon as most of the time. I, I can totally see that when people make that comparison. Well, and so to finish that thought, the Adam Schefter tweet, just the Adam Schefter tweet has 8 million views. <laughs> so like, that's the thing is like, none of that is none of the actual substance is getting out there. And so it just, it was an odd choice in, in a, in a bevy of odd choices. I mean, remember when Gannon, the first video, like the introduction and everybody thought that the, the Rondo Gannon, War. well, not just that, but then the Gannon of uh, running to meet Kyler, they're like, Oh, that's just so staged. It's so ridiculous. And it's like, you're, this is the team's media. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like you can, you can dictate how this works. Like you don't have to, you don't have to post those things. And it just, yeah. And, and so I just, I wish that was more cognizant, like get a group of fans together and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? And <laughs> before you, uh, before you post things, but outside of that, I mean, like, like I said, I thought the actual substance of what happened wasn't bad. I thought it was actually, you know, I think what he's wanting and what he's trying to, you know, get out there to people makes a lot of sense. Oh, totally. And, and the part like the people take, cause the, when the camera pans out to the players, they're just kind of, they, you know, they have the kind of the glazed eye. I don't know if I've ever seen a team meeting like a clip of any team meeting where players were fired up because they're all focused on learning. Like even when on hard knocks, when Robert Sala talks about like on, on when Robert Sala on the, one of the most recent epi- on the one, of, I think it was the first episode of hard knocks this, this season and during the preseason. And he talks about like the Ravens and, or the crows and, and Eagles. And it sounded just as hokey. And the players weren't like, Raw, yeah, let's be Eagles. They were taking notes, just like the Cardinals players. They were just writing, taking notes. Uh, when Robert Saul was trying to make the points that he wanted the Jets to be Eagles and not to, you know, die from the pecking of the Crows, he just, you know, soar higher and higher, higher until the Crows just die. But yeah. <laughs> I know, and that's just it. I mean, it's just coaches are inherently – uh, cheesy at times because you're trying to motivate people that a lot of people don't have uh, what's the word like and, and this isn't calling him out this is nothing like i'm not saying i'm hearing anything like this is literally just an example a guy like dj humphreys he doesn't need to be motivated he's either going to do it and work hard or he's not and and so if he if he doesn't buy into whatever's being sold, which he seems like he does is right now. Right. And and the, But the, like there's then there's nothing that can be done about it. And so yeah, like those guys might blow him off is probably not the right term, but you know, they might just be like, ah, whatever, it's coach, you know. And 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 so that's the thing is like you have to remember that the motivation sometimes isn't for the total it's or the whole but it's for some of those guys because you know a guy like buda baker 
Yeah. He's self-motivated. He doesn't he doesn't need to be motivated. But a guy like Kyler Kyler doesn't need motivation. Right. But this is this is for like well, you know, he talks about great good players, great players. He's trying to create some self-reflection. Like DJ, it was when DJ came in, or like even like Zayvon Collins, they could come in, oh, this is how it's gonna be. All right, then let's do that. It <laughs> like it wasn't like, oh, what the hell? When Zavin got called out for eating breakfast in the team meeting, he wasn't like, "What?" No, he's like, "Oh, that's how this is. You know, this is the norm." Okay, it's just establishing kind of the norm. So yeah, it's not for the team leaders, but it's probably for for the guys that are battling for a roster spot. So what can you do differently? Um, what do I want for? I want killers. I want football killers on the field. And if you are that, you are going to be my guy. Yeah, and it's just, you know, th- he's trying to find – he's trying to get he, construe what he's looking for. Um, I mean, I can talk about it all day as a coach. Like, tonight was September 5th. Like, it was our first, like, practice of the season for our youth team. And, like, you know, I've got, I've got 30 kids on the team, and so half of them, they – either don't want to be there or they don't want to be at practice, you know? So it's like, no matter what I say or do is not going to necessarily motivate them. And they, you know, so finding ways to motivate and to reach people is done in a different way. And one of the most effective ways, like for me is to be able to be like, Hey, this guy is going to play in front of you unless you work harder. And so, you know, that's basically what Gannon's doing is like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Like, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to, you know, show me that you're going to do that? Um, or or are you going to just simply, uh, you know, collect a check and get out of here? That's that's what the question becomes. And And I thought it was impressive that he's you know he's telling the guys what he wants and so we'll see how that goes so let's let's move for that what we actually want to talk about on, on this edition of the show so the cardinals yeah after their 53-man roster was set they've made some roster moves it got grabbed a whole bunch of guys off waivers we've got the first depth chart we've got some captains and then we've got some other nonsense that's come going back around the media with kyler murray with we thought we had avoided for long enough but no no, it doesn't. So let's start. Let's go ahead and start now um, with waiver claims and the depth chart. I figured the Cardinals would be active on the waiver claims. I didn't think they were going to be this active. Um, over the course of three days, they claimed six players, four offensive linemen, uh, a tight end, and a safety. The safety, I'm completely, completely predictable, Kayvon Wallace. But... I don't you know. I think the biggest thing for me was with Dennis Daly and John Gaines getting hurt. Doesn't it basically tell you that they only trusted like they had a they had an eight man, they had eight linemen they trusted. Now they only have six and they're just like, I don't we're 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 gonna figure something out. Isn't doesn't that feel kind of feel like cause they got three guys who can like three guys who can play center. Or are going to or are, are are centers or are projected to be centers, and that's kind of feels like they're just 
let's see what we can get because they didn't love the other guys on the roster, obviously. But their starting lineup plus Kelvin Beecham, I think that's all that they trust in terms of their offensive linemen right now. Yeah, and that makes it really difficult, right? That when you only trust six guys and, and inherently in the NFL injuries occur. So how is that going to play out? Because they don't have John Gaines at all this season. He's done. And then obviously Dennis Daly's out for the first four weeks at least. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to get comfortable with one or two of these guys or just hope that, you know, you need or you get a guy that, steps up into the role and and kind of fills those shoes but it's just disappointing that you know Marquise Hayes or, or Lucita Smith didn't grab that opportunity when they had it but it's not unexpected for fifth and sixth round guys to not do so so yeah. it's Lucita's you know, that the writing was on the wall and Hayes making the roster initially and he's back on the practice squad now so I mean they they like him clearly but they're not like oh, he's definitely our backup guard, which to, to bring a guy off the streets that you've never played, I guess he's technically off the streets, he was playing, but I, I'm very intrigued by a couple of them. Because um, Tristan Cologne, you know, that's not a bad guy to have off the bench. He's He started a couple of games. He's basically yelled a froholt, right? In terms of his right. career so far. Um, and then... He's been in the league for a little bit. Um, the guy that seems to be the most intriguing just from from what Kyle Madsen told me about him and what also um, Justin Mello over for the Draft Network is that the kid that they got out of Hawaii um, that they picked up from the 49ers, Il Manning, is uh, super intriguing because he was a left tackle all through college. He started, what, 40 games or 60 games or something like that. Like He played like five years at Hawaii. Yeah, but um, the interview that that Mello had with him suggests that he saw himself like he knew he was going to be interior guy, but he played left tackle because you know obviously he was their best blind he was their best blocker that was the best lineman they had on Hawaii so he played left tackle. He saw he sees himself playing interior and pr- he honestly could see himself playing center, and, and so I know that it's, he's one of those late round kind of you know draft Nick favorites. But he didn't find a place on the roster with the 49ers. And the, the, the hope was to get him on the practice squad and convert him to guard. But And right now he's listed as, a, what is it, the um, backup left guard, I think it is, to... Yeah, they list, or they dropped their actual depth chart today. Do you think that's, and I know we're going to talk about it, but do you think that's like... Outside of the obvious starters, do you think that's... I never know what to do with that. Um, I'm guessing... So, since they have to have eight guys active, my guess is that they will have Beecham, Cologne, and either Manning or Keith Ismail as the eighth lineman. Carter O'Donnell, who they've listed as the backup left tackle, I'm guessing he's their developmental guy-ish kind of guy. But that that Cologne's going to be active on game days as the backup center. They'll need a backup guard. And so it's a, it's just a question of whether that will be Manning or, or Ismail, in my opinion. And so it's just a matter of who do they like more out of those two. 
And then, you know, you look at it and you've got just an interesting, you know, depth chart in general. I mean, some, some, we knew the offensive line, nothing kind of surprising there, but Ertz is listed as the number one tight end. Um, but they haven't definitively say said if he's playing this week. That's true. That's true. I, I'm guessing he will, but my, he might be eased in there, so we might see a lot more McBride, which which leads us to the, the Elijah Higgins thing. The fact that they – because they clearly like Blake Whitehart um, when they guaranteed the amount of money that they did coming out of Wake Forest. I wonder where Higgins was on their draft board because that dude's kind of intriguing. Um, do you think there's a possibility? Do you think there's a possibility that they just what did I mean? Where did they end up? Where did he end up going? Miami. Oh, I know. I meant what round? Sixth round. Sixth round. So, did looking at it, did they not pick after that or before that? Let me see. Uh, I'm going we, through it right now. Should we, I guess we probably should have, you know. Well, no, they <laughs> took. So Elijah Higgins, 197. So before that, they picked Kittrell Clark, who's starting. So, I mean, I, and then and then they, you know, took Dante Stills at, because Higgins didn't get to him. So, I mean, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um you know, well, you look and, at, yeah, that's kind of the, t- and the fact that five teams time to tried to claim him. That tells you something that that there's something intriguing about him as a number four tight end. I guess because uh, isn't he a touch? He's a slightly undersized for tight end, right? Just like more of the H back build. But, yeah, he's definitely more H back at six three two thirty five. But he's in incredibly uh, athletic. Yeah, super athlete four five forty. 35 inch vert, 10 6 broad, 7 0 cone, uh, 3 cone, which is what the problem is. You know, he's not necessarily a a guy that's going to move laterally extremely well, but he's a guy that can get vertical extremely well, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then obviously with the body type, uh, you know, it, it just makes him that much more of a dangerous target. And so, you know, it's always interesting when they when they make these calls uh, because, like you said, Whiteheart was a little bit bigger, uh, a little less athletic, so they probably just had a higher grade on Higgins coming out, and then had the opportunity to grab him, right? Yeah, and that's which means it's also they. So they they have they kept all their draft picks, although um, Gaines is out for the season, and and then so yeah, they, they, Gaines is out, and who else was in their draft pick? That oh, and, and Garrett Williams is on NFI, so yeah. they've got seven on the roster, but then they added a couple of rookies on top of that, um, with you know. Six players. I guess they claimed seven players off. Um, yeah, they they claimed Starling uh, Thomas, the the cornerback. 
as well. I forgot to forget. So they've claimed seven players um, off of waivers. And, yeah, and so Manning is a rookie, an undrafted rookie. Thomas is an undrafted rookie. And and so, yeah. And that's and DiMarcado. And then they added DiMarcado. And then, well, they had, so, yeah, they've got, again, after after they had three undrafted rookies on the roster on the 53 initially, now they've got another three. They've got three again on the roster, plus an additional rookie in Higgins that was a draft pick as well. So they've got they've got quite the quite the group of players there. Uh the Thomas the Thomas pick for me what is the most intriguing of the group because why? I mean they already had five cornerbacks on the roster. I'm like who is what is the unless yeah, what's the plan? It, it, because what Jeff Riston told me uh, about Thomas is that super handsy in coverage, super handsy, but pretty like pr- looked like he was going to have a he was going to carve out a, a spot on the fifty three for Detroit for a special teams play, and uh, I wonder if that's why they got him, or I mean, because they've already got because that makes three rookie cornerbacks that they have on their team. If you include Williams, you've got Williams, you've got Keytrell Clark, and now you've got. Thomas, and I'm guessing they want him for special teams, but when you've already got a guy like Chris Boyd on your roster for special teams, for me it kind of felt like it was an odd selection unless, and and I guess guess we'll find this out on Wednesday, if one of those cornerbacks um, pops up on the injury report. I I just thought of that, like, well, well, maybe it's not a four-week injury, but like a, a week or two injury. Yeah, and that that could make sense. I mean, where you just have a guy that's potentially hurting, and so you just need to add somebody. That yeah, I, I like that thought. The Kayvon Wallace that was the most I, <laughs> I that was the most predictable waiver claim, having played in Philly, and the fact that he is you know special teams guy. Uh, would know the system. And then they kept, and then on top of that, they kept two safeties on on the practice squad. Andre Sachere, formerly of the Eagles as well, and then Javante Moffitt as well. And so they have guys they'll call up. I, I wonder what the, I wonder what the, oh, I wonder if um, today's transaction wire has the the protections on it um, like they did last year. I'll have to take a look. I have to take a look. Um, I forgot about that was usually on Tuesdays last year is the, the practice squad protections. And so, yeah. Now, uh, about the depth chart, is there anything that surprises you out, out of that? Because to me, it was super predictable. Um, the whole Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon vibe. Come on, stop that. But that Paris Johnson is you know, starting right tackle, knew that. That, in fact, it is Michael Wilson listed as a starting receiver and Keetro Clark w- starting cornerback. I will say I was a little surprised by that. You thought Pascal would be would be that? I, I, not necessarily that he would be the starter. I just I didn't know what to expect, and then that happened. And, yeah, it's just, you know, it, 
it shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, let alone surprise me, but like the way they had talked about Pascal all, all camp, it, it's not like he had done anything wrong. No, no. I, and I think this more says about the, the off season that Wilson had. Um, yeah, no, you're right about that. 100%. It's just, it was just an interesting decision um, to go that route. But, you know, like you said, Cottrell's, or not control. Michael Wilson's worked really hard. He's put up a, a really impressive off season all, all around. And, you know, he's a guy that we talked about, like this is one of those classic guys that basically needed the right spot in, after college. Um, and to stay healthy cross. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. Bone. Yeah, another, I mean, that's the thing is it's not a soft tissue injury after injury. It's been like it's been bones, broken bones, <laughs> which, which which also to me is also kind of a wait a minute. Yeah, well, it would if it was like one bone and maybe that's it. Maybe you're worried like, hey, does he have brittle bones? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an interesting thing. But yeah, so we'll see how this all plays out. I think it's going to be a, you know, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> the, uh, we do, uh, five questions with the managers of, of the other SB nation site, as I'm sure you guys do with we yours. Do, in fact. And so we sent over ours already for this week and, and they've responded. And, you know, one of the things that we have to ask about is, is, you know, or, you know, who do you have winning the game, right? Like a, a, gambling question if you will because this is all done by DraftKings, not a sponsor on this podcast but you know and, and, but if and, they wanted to be right exactly <laughs> uh but and so you know that was just one of the questions and and the <laughs> the commander's guy without hesitation 31 to 7 Ooh. i mean they don't nobody respects the cardinals like Ooh. they're not like oh it's sam howell's first game as a starter and and you know they're it's Eric Bieniemy's first game as like the head play caller. Like, let's see how. No, like the Cardinals. Cardinals are a joke. Uh, <laughs> it's not gonna. And and so that's the thing is like the expectations are so low that getting over them is gonna be easy. Like, and we're not even talking about the Cardinals winning. I mean, something we might. Hey, no, we're talking about a. a de- the demolishing and this coming from a team that is projected to score the fewest points in the NFL. If the, right. if the commanders score 31 points and end up being a team that averages 18 points a game, woof this defense. Although I will say I'm, I'm, I'm not bullish, but I am cautiously optimistic about the schematic soundness and discipline of the starting unit. Can they maintain it throughout the game if if the offense doesn't do anything? I don't think so. But if the offense doesn't give the ball away, I think the defense could be not terrible. Yeah, and so, you know, you just look at the roster. You look at the depth chart. You look at the moves made. You know, everybody looks at it as a tank, but nobody really has talked to the guys and told them that, Hey, this is a tank job. So we'll see how it works out or doesn't, you know, and and what ends up happening in all of this. How much 
playing time do you think Dennis Kardec will actually get? Will he be like, will he start and then have the fewest snaps among the outside linebackers? Or, or do you think Gardick will actually play a significant amount? That's the one thing. And, and who will actually, because it has Dimikagey behind him, but will we see a lot of Cameron Thomas and Zaven Collins as opposed to Collins and Gardick? Even though we saw a decent, we saw a decent amount of Collins and Gardick in the preseason. Yeah, and... What, I mean, what is the expectation on rotations? That, that's kind of what I'm really intrigued by, is how they're going to work the rotations. And because, you know, the, like we kind of semi-joked about, that starting stuff is just... It I mean, can be just, just window dressing. Right, it's just names on a paper. So I, I remember what, AQ Shipley got credit for a start once when he was in the game as a fullback. Right. On the first play of the game. <laughs> so he gave him a start. So, yeah. So, and, and they tend to do that, right? Like, they, especially with veterans, you know, they'll be like, hey. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take the example two years ago with Isaiah Simmons when his playing time was still kind of limited. They always made sure he was in the starting lineup. I think that was a, that was a hey, hey, Steve Kime, he's starting. And that he wouldn't be in there. We're talking two years ago, like when, before last year, when he was expected to do a whole lot more. But that that well, even even his rookie or the very first game, he started the first game, and then you know had bad leverage on the what was that the the seventy five yard yard touchdown play from that running back that, that I can't remember the name of for the 49ers that went to Miami and gets hurt all the time. But yeah, it, but. It, that sort of thing, but that not, and even said, isn't it normally the case that when you look at the defense, uh, like for rotation purposes and not injury, it's really only the front five, right? Because unless you don't, unless you have specifically an inside backer that you want to come in for coverage, you usually, you usually are only rotating defensive line the defensive interior guys once you know swap out the nose tackle for for a slot corner but the guys like at inside backer cornerback and safety those guys typically don't come off the field uh, other than for specific package changes while edge guys and interior defenders will rotate because of you know fatigue yeah and you know, we look at it, and you kind of just look at snaps played in general. And and the Eagles are a tough one because Kaiser came in. I want to say, oh, halfway through the season ish, and became like the full time guy. But like, you know, you look at it like Marcus Epps, their strong safety, so Buda Baker is going to play most of the snaps. Um, James Bradbury, Darius Lay, their corners played most of the snaps. So you assume Marco Wilson and and uh, I guess Kittrell. <laughs> yeah, that's what know. it looks like. That's what it looks like. Because you know Antonio Hamilton was listed as the first team guy all the preseason. Now Clark is the guy in top. And though I am, I'm betting, I'm betting, not actually betting, but I would imagine that Hamilton will be their nickel guy based on the fact that they only have three safeties on the roster. So the plan is. 
Hamilton plays the slot. JT and Buddha stay back. And then and then TJ Edwards played, you know, 95% of the snaps. So that'll be Kaiser White in this defense. And so you look at it, you know, Buddha, the, the corners, Kaiser, and then you look at the rest of it, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, we again we talked about Kaiser in that defense. That's not gonna happen unless uh it's Woods, right? Unless Woods struggles or you know gets injured. Um but Hassan Reddick, obviously likely a better pass rusher than anything the Cardinals have, right? He still played less than 75% of the snaps. So is that the expectation? And obviously he's playing a different role. Right. Raven, and, and the, in most four threes, right. You have one of your rush, one of your three backers usually come off for nickel, right. As right. opposed to the three, four, where you take the nose tackle. That way you have, you both end up still with the four man front. Right. And so you look at it, their, their defensive ends basically split time. So Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham, basically split time they they played combined about 95 percent of the snaps and then their defensive tackles and in, in hargrave and cox again the cardinals don't have that <laughs> let's just be they, they played about 65 percent of the snaps so you again you look at it and you're saying okay like those all are going to get reduced down but that that all makes sense i mean you, yeah. you just kind of look at it and you say okay well while he's not playing the hassan role He'll probably play the Hassan snaps, right? 75% of the snaps. You'll probably see Kaiser in the Edwards role, 95% of the snaps. And then and then it's just a lot of health staying act, you know, available where you talk about right. the safeties and corners and go for and the other line um, you know, the other starting linebacker and go from there. It'll be interesting how those those so like is Gardeck and Agil and or Gardeck and Thomas are they gonna play the Sweat Graham like 50-50 role like that's what's gonna be interesting to me is like how how those are all gonna look like how much Ojolari is gonna play um, where does Demicate does Demicage play more is he's more special teams um, yeah a lot of that's the super uh, what do you think maybe. Do you think of the interior guys? Do you think Collier probably plays the most? Yeah, I would. So I'm kind of looking through their stuff, kind of just at like, so Marlon to Apollo two and and Jordan Davis, and, and I'm not again, I'm not comparing Lucky Foto to either of these guys, but they played twenty percent of the snaps each. So thinking that maybe. Lecky plays forty percent of the snaps because, like Linval Joseph came in late for them last year. He only played yeah. um, he only played eight games, and in those eight games, he played thirty eight percent of the snaps. So he played a lot of so that so that makes sense. And he was their nose tackle. So I'm guessing we're. We're going to see Lecky right around the 40% mark, whereas, like you said, uh, Cox and Hargrave, that's going to be the Collier and and um, Ledbetter role. So those guys were more in the 65% range. And I, and I so, would bet Ledbetter would play even less than they do. Yeah, 
Definitely, definitely, yeah. So, so yeah, you'll probably see Collier in that sixty to seventy percent range, so sixty five percent, and then Lecky right around forty percent, and then I would guess Ledbetter would probably see thirty five to forty percent. That sounds sounds reasonable, definitely. So yeah, so like that'll be that's just what I'm interested in because I mean you look at it again. You have to factor in a lot of things. When did they come on the team? So, you know, uh, Linval Joseph and, and, uh, and Dominic and Sue. And, you know, in the scheme of the season, they only played like 17% of the snaps. But in their time, they were playing about 40% of the snaps. And, again, I'm not comparing Jonathan Ledbetter to, to <laughs> Indomit and Sue, but – that role will probably be about 40% of the snap. So you're going to get 40% from, from Ledbetter, 40% from uh, Lecky, and then, you know, you get that 65% from Collier, ideally, and then, you know, you flush it out from there with guys getting about 20% each after that. Um, so that'll just be kind of how it all plays out i'm guessing uh to, and, and we'll see i mean again we'll we'll see how it goes but yeah i mean outside of outside of really just the the inside backers the safeties and the corners i'm really interested to see what that that up front rotation because that's that's only six guys so the other five guys what does that rotation look like and who are the who are the Again, not comparing abilities, but who are the Hassan Reddick, who are and and the and the uh, you know Javon Hargrave of this defense in terms of reps. Coming up next on the Rise Up Zero podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move ahead and talk about the captains. The Cardinals have six new captains. Some of them aren't so new. That's coming up next on the Rise Up Zero. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, best of Cardinals talking them and talking about captains. Uh, the Cardinals named their captains, and I find this interesting because I, not being in the locker room, I, I, I'm going to ask you this. Gannon named captains. How often in the pros do you think that a coach names them as opposed to the players voting? Because I know that in years past, at least some of them, I think under Arians, that players voted for captains um, as opposed to being selected. And Gannon selected these can- these captains. Uh, Kyler Murray, DJ Humphrey, James Conner, Buda Baker, Kaiser White, Dennis Gardeck. Uh, basically three guys on offense, all, all three completely you would expect to be the captains, Kyler, DJ, Connor, defensively Buddha, Kaiser White makes sense, even though he's a newcomer here, Gardeck, Gardeck, Baker, uh, Humphreys, and Kyler have been captains four straight years now, and Connor is a captain for the second year row. But uh, maybe I am, am didn't pay enough attention to this, but how common is it, do you think, that a coach selects them as opposed to players voting for them? You know, that's a fair question. That's something I should have looked up before we started this whole thing because it's it's interesting to see how that works out. Um, see how that works out and see the way Gannon operates. Uh, and, you know, like you said, there wasn't any shock, right? Buddha and, and Kaiser, right? I mean, that was obvious <laughs> from Jump. And and then on offense, as much as it pains people, you know, 
they Kyler is one of the guys. So we'll see how that all kind of works out. Um and and what the plans are, you know, if it works, but a lot I think most teams vote for it if i if i remember right that that would make sense to me um but like doesn't it feel like gannon is gannon had coached a college team the things he does would make a lot of sense right and i'm I'm gonna also this i'm gonna keep drawing jim harbaugh comparisons i really see a lot of jim harbaugh in gannon only less of like seemingly seemingly more player friendly like yeah less ab- less abrasive or <laughs> i guess i can say it just less of an asshole let's be honest. <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing but yeah um i love the fact that we keep seeing it's now kyler has been a ca- captain for four straight years now which when we get to the next segment seems kind of stupid if Kyler's not going to play. Why would he be selected a captain? And and I think we need to continue to to talk about the fact that this new coaching staff that Gannon is praising effusively uh, Kyler as a teammate. Kyler being present. Uh, Kyler being active in the in the in team meetings and offensive meetings to show that either. Either his lack of such was more related to the toxic situation around him that he just didn't want to invest, um, or that narrative was simply false. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of this came from the previous regime and not necessarily Cliff. And I've been told, and I've said it on this show, that one of the bigger issues that started to rear its head, I guess is the best way to put it was the fact that, and and we talked about it a million times. Cliff was very much a, Hey, we're all adults. Like you do your thing. Like you do your job and, and you know, I'm not going to worry about you and, and I'm not going to worry about them or, and things like that. And, Right, wrong, or other. You know, everybody's got their opinion. Um, Kyler began to have trouble with what was going on in terms of the uh, the front office. And again, we can agree, disagree. It doesn't matter, but whether it was Isaiah Simmons, um, whether it was Rondell Moore, like there were, there were decisions that Kyler probably shouldn't have stuck his nose in. I mean, I'll, I'll say that but also that he's in hindsight been proven that he 
was probably right as well. And so, you know, that dynamic in that relationship when Cliff is like, I'm not getting involved basically. Right. Like, uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm just here to coach. And, and then you have the, the issues. It just, it's going to sour somebody. And we've seen that there seems to be a singular person who's working their way through the media to try and change um the uh what's the word i'm looking for like what people think of him whereas the other guy has been more behind closed doors working to change the perception of him and so you know those are just yeah, it's just it's just different. Uh, it's unfortunate that that's how it ended, but we moved on. But you know, one of those guys in that situation is still working or going through the media, telling a story and getting what he believes is his version of the truth, or he doesn't believe, but he what he believes is his version of the truth out there, while. Kyler's version is different and that's how it that's how it always goes right like there's always two versions and probably the truth is usually somewhere in the middle yeah totally totally but the captains all make sense um I I wouldn't you? Have, I, I wouldn't have picked honestly I don't think I would have gone through and picked anyone else differently than they had I was gonna ask were, were you I mean I'm surprised is not the right word but were you surprised that like like Paris didn't get the nod? No, no. Um like a rookie lineman, I think that would be exceptionally that would be an exceptional case to have a rookie lineman get named a captain, especially in a room with look look at the veterans they have. They got Will Hernandez, they got Elijah Wilkinson, they got DJ Humphreys. And DJ has been a captain. He's been basically the voice of the offensive line for well, heck, and even got Kelvin Beecham. Um, as well, I, I I think Paris Johnson as a captain would have been a huge surprise to me. Okay, I was just curious what your thought process was on it. I I I think in this case, in terms of selecting captains, I think Gannon wants he doesn't need Paris to be a leader. He needs Paris to be a kick a right tackle, um, working his tail off, and. That would be and and to earn some more like that, yeah, yeah. I guess that would make sense, and I kind of like it. Um, I kind of like that because Gannon kind of said he's like he has a plan. He he. There is a reason why he picked captains. He explained those reasons, and part of it was for those particular players to do particular things, and so. I love how seemingly intentional, personally, I have a personal philosophy of intentional living and, and Gannon's intentional approach to coaching. I really like. Yeah. That's one of the things we've talked about is just, and you know, I can, again, just talking and, and trying to learn, you, you know, one of the things you do as, as a coach and you do it as a teacher and I do it, you know, in, in my day job is you try to get better if you're good at what you do 
let's say it this way. If you're good at what you do, you continually try to get better and evolve, right? And that's one of the things that I think Gannon does a lot is that he wants to be a great coach. He desires that. And so he puts himself in a position to to teach and take the responsibility on and if it doesn't work he he at least knows that he put in the effort and the time and the energy to get them there yeah yeah it's it's i like it coming up next on the rise of Sierra podcast special cardinals talk on the web let's talk about our last segment which is a couple of things one it's another rumor about kyler murray not playing and what is going on with the stuff that's coming out about steve kime Coming to next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast. This is our Cardinals talk on the web. It, I, I will say, I don't want to give it too much credence, but because it kind of caught fire, guys like Pat McAfee were talking about it. Mike Florio was talking about it. it here comes again that the Cardinals would sit Kyler Murray for the entire season to avoid, you know, it, those it, injury and potential injury, yeah. And I'm just like, why? Why would the message be that that to me it just seems absurd across the board? Why would the message be all summer, Kyler Murray working his tail off to get back on the field? Kyler pushed, like, this is something Kyler's been pushing, the team has been pushing, he's named a freaking captain. And then the notion that they're just going to sit him. Like, if things are bad, they're like, no, we're going to do that. We're, we're, we're going to move off of it. This is not the sound of a team that's moving off of Kyler Murray. Are they in a position where they could? Certainly. Certainly they could. Um, but it, it, I'm going I'm to say it's going to be really hard. They could, but it's going to be hard because if Kyler's good, why would you trade him? Like, And, and I'm going to keep saying this. As great as Caleb Williams looked, guess what? You know who looked just as good in that exact same offense? It was Kyler Murray in 2018. So, like, what you're hoping Caleb Williams could be is what Kyler Murray is, right? And why would you move off of the original? <laughs> unless he, unless he, unless he's declined as a result of injury. But if he's declined because of injury, he's going to be impossible to trade as well, which the Cardinals leave, leave in a bet. So they, they, they have really no other choice than have Kyler Murray perform, and they need Kyler Murray to play so that they can have that faith moving forward. And if he's healthy and they sit him, guess what? Everything that's been good on the offseason with his new coaching staff will have been wiped out completely. Kyler will be a very, very upset player and will want out. Yeah, and that's and again, you've talked about it too. Perceptions big creating the right atmosphere for this for this um, organization is important and you know if they don't think kyler can play or lead anymore then i'm fine with moving on that's that's something that they have to do for the organization to try to get better right but if they're just going oh this is this is you know the cheaper route to go and we just need to go then then I feel like you're doing this organization a disservice because like you said, the unknown and let's be honest, 
the history of drafting quarterbacks for this team, it's not like you've ever done it better than Kyler. Like the, <laughs> right. the only go, go, good quarterbacks they've had have been veterans on their last leg. I mean, outside of Neil Lomax, right? Like, and that's, and that was still St. Louis. The, right, right. And he, yes, that was, Neil Lomax was fantastic. I never got to watch his fantasticness. They drafted Jake Plummer, Jim Rosenbaugh. That didn't work out. They drafted Stony Case. He was nothing. They they brought in backup after retread, after unproven guy. Chris Chandler, Tom Tupa, like Jay Schrader, Steve Berline. Everyone that, like, basically any quarterback that was on the cusp of being a star, Chris Chandler. Or they brought in the old guys, Boomer Esaias and Dave. This is ridiculous. Then they drafted Jake Plummer. And Jake Plummer was one of the best young quarterbacks ever seen. And look at his numbers. His numbers are terrible. They're terrible. He was terrible statistically for the Cardinals. Uh, and I loved him. One of my favorite players of all time, mind you. Jake Plummer. Incredible. Yeah. And and I and, and then when he went on to, to Denver and to do be very, very competent. But then after that, you've got you've got Josh McCown, you've got retreads like Sean King. Matt Leinert showed promise and then fell off you know, everything. Kurt Warner comes in. Um, you know, Derek Anderson was no good. They traded for Kevin Cobb. John Skelton flashes for a little bit. Um, they'd, they'd Carson Palmer, he's great. Um, they draft other guys. They don't – Josh Rosen. Yeah, Kyler. Kyler's like – and if we look at statistically, Kyler's already like – a top four, like a top three or four quarterback in this franchise's history. And that is so bad, but it's also so good. Like, why do you right. want to move from and that? You, and you have him, and he's already outside the top five in money. Um, Allen signed his deal, right? Did Josh Allen sign his new deal? Um, I'm pretty sure yes. I'm checking. But yeah, so Allen, yeah. Heck, yes, he signed his new even, deal. Even yes. Daniel Jones for crying aloud. Right. Well, and that's the thing. You look at the numbers and you look at the names. Like you're paying Daniel Jones forty million. So <laughs> if you're going to pay Daniel Jones forty million, paying Kyler forty five. So again, unless you're going to say like, "Hey, we're going to go spend." That here's my thing to the people that want to get rid of Kyler from the financial aspect. And I'm going to say this politely. When has this team ever intelligently spent money? Now, I know it's a different, <laughs> I know it's a different regime. Okay. So I, I get that. So we haven't seen this regime. But when has being flush with cash ever worked out in this franchise's favor? And I'm not saying that just give Kyler all the money and not worry about it. What I'm saying is this isn't something that we see often we don't see the cardinals in a position where they have you know the young quarterback and 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 so what they had with with kyler and it not working if you do that again with caleb williams next year the clock starts over and you have three or I guess four years, no, three years, because that's when Kyler signed his, right, after three years. So the clock starts over again immediately in three years. 
are we assuming that this team is going to be ready to contend immediately next year or with a, with a rookie? So, so you get Caleb Williams. I mean, even even best case scenario, he's Kyler Murray in as a rookie, right? He's you know he's Kyler Murray. He's you know Joe Burrow. Wait, Joe Burrow was two seven and one, right? Like he wasn't any good i mean his stats weren't bad but like that's what i'm saying it's just it's such a toss-up and then if it happens you're you're immediately on the clock that rookie contract puts you on the clock and now you're you're making moves to get things done in that that three or four year time frame before you have to pay the next guy and so it's like well you've got this guy under contract you've got him in a in a now you know situation where he's going to be a top eight quarterback maybe 10 in terms of contract like that those change literally yearly like he's just gonna by the time he starts actually making money or counting against the cap yeah he's seventh right now i just looked right now um He's seventh. Like, is he a top seven quarterback right now? No, that's fine. But the guys in front of him are, I mean, the guys around him, he's in the mix with Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford. Like, he's in the mix with those guys. And and again, your next options are 40 million in term in in Daniel Jones, Derek Carr. Or thirty-five million in Jared Goff, like those are your next options. So, it it's not like you can just be like, "Oh, we're going to get Caleb Williams, and then immediately we're going to be good," because that's just not <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Not, it doesn't make any sense. And well, and, and it's just not how it works. So, like no. you, you know, I feel like we've been fans long enough to say like, like okay. Andrew Luck with Bruce Arians was like the exception. That right. year, and then, as a rookie, when they won 12 games, and you don't get that from rookies. Like, even Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was terrible, <laughs> like, statistically his first year. They lost games. They lost so many games. Troy Aikman's rookie year, terrible. Cowboys were awful. And, and like, like rookie quarterbacks go through bad they, – they're usually on bad teams. You don't get a good rookie quarterback on a good team. Right. Well, and you had Trevor Lawrence two years ago. I mean, three and fourteen led the league in interceptions. Last year comes back twenty five and eight, and now they're you know they're loaded up. They're trying to make a run for things, right? And and because they're on the clock. And so, like, how Jacksonville handles it, things like that. Like everybody's like just assumes like, oh, you got to be like San Francisco. Well, San Francisco has been lucky, if anything. And <laughs> and and guess what? that's all coming due next year. So like next year, their situation's super untenable. So it just, it, it's one of those situations where you have to just understand that these guys or teams, you, it's about the organization. And if you're able, 
if you're able to create a stable organization that allows you to win, then, then everything falls into place. But if it's literally just like, Hey, we have a three year running clock to get something done. Well, then you're going to be disappointed because it's, it's very unlikely that you're going to reach that goal in those three years or you will. And, and again, you and I wouldn't complain, but then you're the Rams, right? <laughs> and guess what? You know who's the team that's going to end up with Caleb Williams, right? The Rams. It, yeah. it will be the Rams. It most certainly will be the Rams. Um, interesting thing that came around. Michael Lombardi was on, uh, was it Pat McAfee? Um, talking about the Cardinals and Kyler Murray and the kind of the situation. And somehow threw out there the idea that the Cardinals always like basically Steve Kime wanted Kyler Murray in 2019 and as a result of that going into the draft going into that offseason they they hired Cliff Kingsbury because they wanted Kyler Murray I do not know where Lombardi gets that information if that is information that he just made up or or if this was you know Steve Kime or a friend of Steve Kime feeding Lombardi Latin narrative because that narrative is absolutely atrociously bad and if you follow the Cardinals we know we know that's not the case Steve Kime wanted nothing to do with Kyler Murray he said it himself he didn't even look at Kyler Murray tape until after the combine when honestly when he knew that that Kyler was going to be in the draft and he didn't want he didn't want Kyler he had just drafted Josh Rosen they they hired Cliff Kingsbury to fix Josh Rosen. That that was what that's what they talked about in the they talked about Josh Rosen and, and what they needed to do for him. And Kaim basically said Kyler forced him to draft him because he was so good. This was a guy who wanted to draft Nick Bosa. They wanted Nick Bosa. They wanted Josh Rosen to be the for, for future of the team. And Kyler's tape was just too good. That nonsense. That's it's it's hogwash. Kime was not the was not the reason they did not hire Cliff Kingsbury because of Kyler. They hired Cliff Kingsbury because they wanted an offensive coach. Right. And so, you know, and that's what I was alluding to earlier. This is the uh Steve Kime tour where he's able to basically try to recreate history to make him look better than than he has looked and I get it. I mean, like at the end of the day, the yeah, last Tyler se- was drafted by Kime, but it wasn't because that was the whole plan to begin with. No, and, and you know, the last couple of years were bad, and and I get that, and it was tough, and you know, you, you're trying to work back through it. But at the end of the day, like it is what it is, and and you just, I mean, you had your chances, and you fell short. You made you made wrong decisions and moves and, and you, you know, one of the guys that we've known for years, uh, I think he even might've written for you at one point, Kent Hoder talks about it all the time. Kent Kent wrote briefly with me back when I was running your site. Yeah. And, and I, he talks about it all the time. This is what you, I mean, and, and what you get is a strong phrase. I don't mean it in that way, but this is what you get when you chase the ghost of Daryl Washington for a decade, because that's literally, I mean, literally that's what he was doing. Let's be honest. Like 
he found a unicorn and it never and it and he just never gave it up after that like he just he couldn't give it up and 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 that's the thing is like as a gm not that you and i have ever done it obviously but as a gm like you have to be able to say like oh those were mistakes and then you have to also look at the nfl where the nfl is and how it's trending or where it's trending and say oh all these other teams that are good aren't wasting first round picks on linebackers off ball linebackers they draft pass rushers and now you know wide receivers and and these things maybe we should look at doing that but it's just you know that's no, what I but said. let's draft pass rushers to become off ball backers that's right exactly exactly so you know it's unfortunate um but it's also you know are you going to take the word of the guy that's not working now that's doing the media rounds to try to kind of fluff himself back up or are you gonna are you gonna use your eyes and ears of what we actually know happened and that's that's let's be honest like i said like we started the show with eight million views on on a on a tweet snippet <laughs> thirty nine thousand people actually watched the video so like it's much easier to be like oh yeah steve kime genius for a long time i wonder you know but kyler murray ruined his career and and cost him his job it's like no <laughs> that's not how it went down yeah and with that we will wrap up this edition of the rise of syria podcast best of cardinals talk web this is episode 457 we will the it, we're going to try and and find the schedule now to hit two or three shows a week we'll record again thursday night talking about cardinals commanders in week one and i hope to have a commanders writer reporter guest later in the week as well that's seth cox i'm chess thanks for listening as always we'll be back again soon thanks for listening to the latest edition of the rise up sea red podcast listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on apple podcasts stitcher radio audio boom or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Sea Red.